0: The following audio is from Lifehouse Church. We hope you are blessed by this message and encourage you to connect with us on social media or lifehousechurch.org. Are we simply pawns to our passions? Do our emotions just spin like a wheel and where they stop, nobody knows? Now, if you're in some type of a loving relationship or you've been around family members for a while, you're probably convinced that that's how most of the people in your home live, right? Like they just their emotions are spinning and spinning and you're not quite sure what you're going to get on any given, in any given moment or on any given day. It's kind of like every single moment is like a new exciting adventure of where the wheel might stop and who knows what's going to come out of them. Are, are your reactions... Just simply an instinctive response to the moment and you have little control over what might or might not come out of your mouth. In fact, you can make an argument that our reactions are nothing more than chemical responses. Follow me here, right? So there are neurotransmitters in our body that our brain creates that drives Powerful, reactionary, muscular responses. So that's why when a door slams, you don't have to think about jumping away from it. Right, like as some of you, like you're in your office and they hear a loud slam and you like almost come out of your chair. Why? Because neurotransmitters from your, your brain send a response that triggers an adrenaline rush that, in, I mean, almost instantly causes your body just to react with a muscular response that makes you jump out of your chair. So, so then the question can be do you have really any control over those first reactions? Or are you nothing more than just a biological response? Are are your reactions nothing more than chemical responses or even genetic responses? You're, You're just hardwired a certain way with certain urges and desires that you have little control over. And if you have little control, then you are not responsible for your actions and your reactions because your reactions are nothing more than just a simple biological or chemical or genetic reaction to the stimuli around you. If you're following me, then you're kind of coming up with your own conclusions. You're going, wait a second, this is challenging to my thinking, because it really kind of lands on one of two places. Either I am not responsible, because my reactions are just an instinctive response, an impulse to what's going on, or I am responsible. And if I'm not responsible, then I have the right to say that my urges, which are kind of just hardwired in me, should be given into. It would be repressive, even oppressive to hinder a response to give into my urges. How is that working for you and I? Because you, you know as well as I do that when you give in to the first one, it creates a desire for a second response or it creates a reaction from someone else and now the train starts going down the tracks, right? Maybe you had an urge to give in to a certain thing that created an addiction in you. Maybe it was lust or alcohol or drugs. Maybe it was an urge to give in to an angry response or to speak a hateful word. And as a result, that created a, a trigger effect that got the train moving down the track of now you responded in anger and then they reacted back to you in anger and now the relationship is wildly out of control. Maybe you gave into to a moment of lust that then sabotaged a healthy marriage or a healthy loving relationship or you were hurt because someone in your family gave in to a momentary urge. And you've had those moments, haven't you? where a desire or an urge rose up within you, and so you gave into it, and you saw how it created a, rip, a trickle down or effect, or you got on the train and it started just moving down the tracks. Some of you, you've done this in, in a relationship where somebody said something to you and you reacted impulsively. You said something more harshly back, and then the thing just went down the tracks. And, and every word just added more fuel to it, right? And that thing started picking up speed. And now some of you, you don't even talk to people, that you used to have a great relationship anymore because you fueled the train. Some of you, you have found yourself chained to addictions because you fueled the chain. Some of you, your whole entire life is now consumed with this life controlling habit that was the result or the consequence of giving into that urge that you've said was just a impulse or a desire that maybe was biologically hardwired or genetically hardwired or maybe even chemically hardwired. And I, I certainly am convinced that that's probably how David felt. Let me bring you to the story. I hope that you will at least be able to identify with David. Let me, the story I'm going to present to you is found historically recorded in the first book uh, of Samuel. So it's a historical account kind of of the early stages of the kings who began to rule over the nation of Israel. In 1 Samuel chapter 25, the context of it is this. There's this young man named David who has been uh, anointed by a prophet that he will become the next king of the nation of Israel. Unfortunately, he is not yet crowned king and the current king is hunting him. Meaning King Saul is out to kill this young man, David. So David has spent the last several years of his life running for his life, living in the woods, living in the forest, living in the mountains and the rocks. And he's gained a a following. So, you know, these other soldiers have gone out into the wilderness to find him, and they're kind of following him around, hanging out with him. David, uh, while he's living out in the wilderness... Uh, fending for himself, kind of trying to survive, he comes along a, a we- very wealthy landowner. And in this situation, the um, context would be that David and his men who find this guy who's a, a really uh, wealthy farmer. And so they surrounded his, uh, his livestock to protect him. Now, this would be kind of like a, a gentleman's agreement. So, you know, if you had like thousands of sheep and you're out in the wilderness, inevitably you're gonna lose many of them to wolves and other animals. And so David and his men surrounded them to protect this man's sheep. And so what historically and uh, traditionally uh, happen as a result of this gentleman's agreement is that when it came time for the harvest or if it came time for like the sheep shearing moment, uh, the, the guy who owns all the livestock says, hey, here's a payment, here's a gift for helping protect my, my wealth. And so here it is. We're gonna go to First Samuel chapter 25 where that's exactly what's going on. It was sheep shearing time in Carmel. It's time for payment. The man's name was Nabal, which translates to a dog-like fool. Some of you, you might be thinking, well, that's exactly what my employer is like. Uh, I'm a little bit nervous that some of our church staff are thinking that, I I certainly hope not. Um, His name was Nabal, which translates fool, a Calebite, and his wife's name was Abigail. The woman was intelligent and good-looking. The man was brutish and mean. Now, husbands and wives, don't you dare elbow each other. Wives, you're not allowed to say, hey, this rem- that reminds us of our relationship. Uh, some of you, y'all, don't appreciate this. All right, here we go. we we'll keep going. David, out in the back country, heard that Nabal was shearing his sheep and sent 10 of his young men off with these instructions. Go to Carmel and approach Nabal. Greet him in my name. Peace, lo- Peace, life and peace to you. And then he, then he goes and says, when your shepherds were camped near us, we didn't take advantage of them. We didn't lose a thing all, all, at, all the time. They were with us in Carmel. And then he says, hey, ask your young men. What I'm asking is that you be generous with my men. Share the feast. Give whatever your heart tells you to your servants and to me, David, your son. So let, let, me, put this, let me set this up here, right? So David goes sends some of his men to Nabal and he says, hey, you know, we, we've honored you. We've been, we've been very kind to you. We've been generous towards you. You know, the truth is we could have overpowered your men and we could have taken whatever we wanted, but we didn't. We respected your business, we respected your hard work and we didn't take anything, but now it would be appropriate for you to kind of pay us something because we've taken such good care of you. Uh, And you know, it's interesting as you're reading this, you go, here's David who has been anointed king of a nation. And he says to this uh, wealthy man, "I I acknowledge you as a father. He says, I'm your servant, I'm your son. He takes on the posture of a servant and a son. Unfortunately, Nabal does not respond positively to him. Nabal actually says, David's a nobody. And I don't owe him a thing. In fact, not only do I not see him as a servant or as a son, I see him as a disloyal slave. He he doesn't deserve anything from me. Well, word gets back to David that that's the way Nabal treated him. And here it goes. Right? David says, hey, a gentleman's agreement, you, you need to take care of me and my men. He gets treated harshly, and it's action reaction, right? Like here it comes, and you can see it coming. I'm gonna read it to you. David's men turned around and went back. When they arrived, they reported every word. David said to his men, Put on your swords. We are going to war. Like this is war. And some of you, you have that moment, right? Like Man, your, your wife or your husband, they just say that one word. It triggers your, it just pushes a button and bam, it's war, right? Like maybe you're, uh, you have another trigger response. Something goes wrong and bam, it's, it starts spinning and you just explode or you just give into that addiction or you give into that urge and bam, now the whole thing is rolling. It, it's, it's gaining momentum, it's gaining Some strength, and this is David, right? His men strap on their swords. They're riding off to to just wipe out Nabal and his entire family. In fact, that's actually the next thing he says. He has paid me back evil for good. May God, so he's actually invoking God in his sense of justice to destroy Nabal. He goes, may God deal with David, be it ever so severely, if by morning I leave alive one male of all who belong to him. That's some pretty harsh reaction. That's that's a strong statement. And some of you can totally relate. You You know what happens here? Here's what's going on, right? So David's being hunted by Saul, his life constantly under threat. He's had it up to here with the way he's being treated, and now Nabal mistreats him, and it's like the straw that breaks the camel's back. I'm not sure what you're walking through or what you're carrying, but I'm certain that there are moments in your life when you overreact or you give in to an urge or an impulse far more quickly than you otherwise would because you've had it up to here, right? And so it's, it's a setup for you to have an overreaction or an out-of-control response, and that's, that's David. David's carrying all this frustration, all this hurt. He's got it all bottled up. And so when Nabal mistreats him, it all just comes flying out. He's like, pick up your swords, we're going to kill. And maybe you think that's harsh, but how many of us with our words or our desires or our impulses? Oh, we don't don't wipe out entire families and villages with swords, but do we use the sword of our tongue? to destroy a relationship, the sword of our tongue to devastate a family, have you and I given into urges that have caused havoc and destruction and hurt in the people around us and it has devastated our own lives, then we can certainly at least relate to what David is walking through. And so I wanna challenge you because David gets interrupted on his way to destroy, giving in to his impulse and his urges, David is interrupted and it changes the course of not just this story, but it changes the course of David's life. And so the question becomes, how can you and I overcome being pawns to our passions, get out of the spinning and the wildly um, out of control behaviors so that we can live Less impulsive and more under healthy control. And so here's what I want to challenge I encourage you to write this down as you're taking notes today. Feel free to make a note of this. Feel free to use it uh, in your program. There's a place to take notes. Feel free to use a smartphone or a tablet. Here's, the, here's the, the kind of the principle that jumps off the pages that you're going to see as we read through the rest of this story. And it's this. Self-control means having the power of the first response, right? David was out of control. He didn't choose his first response. His anger chose a reaction. And some of us, our desires, our impulses, our chemical reactions are choosing a reaction rather than us having the control to make a conscious first response we want to be in control, sounds like a great idea, but the reality is you and I are far more out of control than we realize because this whole chemical reaction that's going on inside of us, this whole emotional reaction, even our genetic coding is broken be really clear with you everything about you and i has been corrupted it's as if a virus has gotten into the operating system of our very being that causes us to have impulsive and reactionary responses that are totally corrupted and broken from the way they were meant to be that's what i'm referring to by spinning it's out of control it's unhealthy it's not the way you and i were created and meant to live the spin is the result of sin. Sin is that corrupting virus inside of every one of us. Sin is an instinct or a nature in you and I to disregard God and do what we want. We were meant to live in perfect relationship with God. We were meant to live a life blessed by God. But we, you and I, were born with a sin nature that has corrupted, you could go so far as to say it has corrupted our genetics, it has corrupted our thinking, it has corrupted our emotions, and as a result, it corrupts our reactions and our responses, leaving us completely and utterly corrupted. So sin wreaks havoc in our lives, breaking and destroying the way we should respond and leaves us nothing more than pawns to our passions. And so in another letter, written by a guy named the Apostle Paul who started a church in the region of Galatia, he wrote a letter to that church, appealing to them. And he explained this problem that is hardwired inside of us. Let me read to you in in his letter that is now broken into chapters in Galatians chapter five, Verse 19, he says, the acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Meaning you can just look around. You can see it in anybody and everybody. Here, here are some of the reactions, or here are some of the actions that are come out of a sinful nature. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry. Idolatry is when we worship anything but God. He says, uh, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I mean, he's going down this list and he's saying, here's just all this stuff that just kind of comes out of us naturally, instinctively. And, and, and here's what happens. Because of the spin that's a result of sin, it not only destroys relationships and wrecks our lives, it leads toward an ultimate ruin, a ruin of eternal judgment. We're cut off from relationship with God because we're not in relationship with God. We don't have the promise of heaven. We don't have the promise of heaven. We we only are on a pathway toward eternal, forever judgment. But God intervened in the corruption of every one of our lives. God entered into our world. He takes on the consequence of the spin sin, He takes the judgment that you and I deserved on himself, the death sentence that was placed on every one of us, the eternal judgment that you and I deserved. he takes it on himself so that when Jesus died, he died once for all. He he took the eternal judgment that was uh, ahead of every one of our lives, and he heaped it on himself so that he paid the eternal judgment, so that in his death, our debt was paid in full. In his death, our death sentence was paid off. In his death, our eternal judgment was removed so that anyone who believes in Jesus Christ by faith is forgiven of their sins. That sin nature that leads toward ultimate ruin, that that corrupts our lives, is broken. The grip of sin that's on our life that results in a spinning out of control way of living, we're set free from that. He forgives us, removes the shame and guilt, and in place, he gives us new life. For anyone who believes in Jesus Christ by faith, they know that not only did Jesus die on a cross for our sins, but he rose again from the dead, and in his resurrection, he gives us the promise of new life, which means your life doesn't end in death, your life now simply has a transition through death into forever life. But actually, there's even more. Not only does he forgive us of sins and give us the promise of new and eternal life, he actually puts his spirit inside of us. So that when you believe in Jesus by faith, the spirit of God, which is eternal and invisible, comes and makes his home inside of our eternal invisible spirit. Now, this is the part I want you to not miss. Please don't miss. This is essential. When God's spirit comes and lives inside of your spirit and my spirit our eternal invisible spirit we now have the control of god living in us on your own if you're just trying to be you're just trying to be self-controlled you're trying to morally forced yourself to do the right thing, right? It's through moral determination or moral determinism. Like you're you're saying, I'm going to do this, and you've seen it, right? You fail over and over and over. Some of you, you have become so frustrated and so cynical because you're trying to control your anger. You're trying to get rehab. You're trying to go through, uh, uh, you know, an anger management, or you're trying to overcome a porn addiction, or you're trying to get out of uh, a sex addiction, or you're trying to get out of something, and you just over and over keep stumbling into it. Here's my challenge to you. Until the Spirit of God is in us, we are left to the spin. But when God's Spirit is alive in our spirit, he now empowers us to become self-controlled. It's God's Spirit giving us the ability to take control of that first response. This is why in Paul's writing, when he says, okay, here's what the actions of the sinful nature are. But in verse 22, he says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. It's like this. Here's what happens when God's spirit is alive in you, he begins to grow roots inside of every aspect of your being and the tree of life that's growing up in you, that's just a metaphor I'm borrowing and using, right? Um, The tree begins to grow and produce fruit. Out of the fruit of God's spirit living in you come the virtues, of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. I mean, you can't muster this on your own. You can't fake it and produce it on your own. You have to have God's Spirit planted in you, which is growing up into maturity. That's producing in you self-control. If you are in relationship with Jesus and you have been for a significant period of time, Your life should demonstrate the fruit of the Spirit, including self-control. If you are still living wildly out of control, if you're still giving into every reaction and every impulse and every urge, then you are not yet yielded to the Spirit of God. Now, when you are living under the Spirit of God and He is taking control of your life, then you have the ability to choose your first response. So how do you? Excuse me. How do you do that? Well, I want to just focus on the story that I was reading to you, and we're going to borrow from this to give you a little example of how we can live this out. So I'm going to read it to you. 1 Samuel chapter 25, verse 23. Here we go. When Abigail saw David, she quickly got off her donkey and bowed down before David. So here's what happens. Abigail, Nabal's husband, finds out that Nabal mistreated David and she goes, he's gonna come kill us all. So she gets on a donkey and goes racing out, knowing that David and his army are probably on their way. She meets him and here's how it goes, right? She gets off her donkey, bowed down before David with her face to the ground. She fell at his feet and she said, "'My Lord, let the blame be on me alone. Please let your servant speak to you. Hear what your servant has to say. May the Lord not, may my Lord, Pay no attention to that wicked man, Nabal. And then she continues, verse 27. And let this gift, which your servant has brought to my master, be given to the men who follow you. This picture is actually a picture of the way God intervenes in our story. You and I, we're on a crash course with wrong living, with bad behavior, with out-of-control lifestyle. Jesus comes and pursues us. He goes out of his way to be a mediator between us and our impending destruction. Nabal is a type of our temptations, our urges, our instincts, the the things that provoke us to wrong behavior. So David, like us, charging in to wreck things. Abigail goes out of her way. She says, let the blame be on me, right? Who does that remind you of, right? That's Jesus saying, I will take all of your blame on myself. Regardless of what's going on, I'm going to take it all myself. And and then she says, and, and would you receive this gift, right? God comes bearing gifts to us. He gives us the gift of new life. He gives us the gift of forgiveness. He gives us the gift of his spirit, which enables us to get out of a spinning lifestyle and begin to live a new and different kind of life. And so I wanna challenge you that while, while David required Abigail to intervene, you and I, here's, here's how you choose a first response. You choose it by being spirit-controlled. Not just self-controlled. A lot of people are trying to live self-controlled lives, but they live out of control. You and I need to become spirit-controlled, and what that specifically means is yielded to God's spirit. Are you willing to lay aside your control? And man, how many of us struggle with trying to be in control and say, God, I get it. I am not doing a really good job being in control. I'm going to yield to your spirit and become spirit controlled, controlled by the spirit of God. Here's what that requires. Just like Abigail intervened and halted David, Jesus Christ intervenes in your story and my story, halts us from the crash course we're on with sin and hell and destruction. It says, whoa, you can choose a different way of living. He offers us the gift of salvation and new life. He offers us the gift of a spirit-controlled life. And when you choose to receive the gift of God's spirit living in you, he empowers you to choose a different first response. Now, instead of just being reactionary, you have a gap. There's a moment where instead of just giving into the chemical reactions of the neurotransmitters in your body, By the way, I'm using that metaphorically, I'm not suggesting that when the next door slams, you can just be like, "Mm." I'm just saying that God wants to empower you to overcome your sin instincts and give you a spirit-controlled way of living. When we begin to live like that, here is what Paul continued to write in Galatians chapter five. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. This is not about you trying to do better. This is about you and I yielding our lives, saying, God, I give you control. I'm not doing this thing very well. Sometimes I react the wrong way and I say the wrong thing. God, today what I need is your spirit to take control of my responses. Would you take control of my mouth? Would you take control of my thinking? Would you take control of my heart? Would you take control of my emotions? And here's what will happen. The more you yield to God, the more you will allow God to give you the power of first response. Now that requires an additional step, right? I don't want to just make this thing like, you know, quick, easy, you know, statement here. Let me, let me add another step to that. Not only do, do we become spirit control, but when the spirit gives us control, now you have to know what to look for. How is God helping you have the power of a first response? Well, here's the next thing you need to write down then. To choose the right first response, I need to pause, I am being spirit-controlled, and what the Spirit of God controls, the way he gives me control is he gives me the ability to pause in reactionary moments. When otherwise, I would just instinctively yell or instinctively swing or instinctively hate or instinctively say the wrong thing. Now, he gives me the capacity and the ability to pause. First Samuel chapter 25, verse 24. Let me, let me read a little bit more of the story about Abigail to you. Here's a part I already read. Some of it, just restate just restated to you. She says, please let your servant speak to you. Hear what your servant has to say. May my Lord pay no attention to this wicked man, Nabal. Here's what she does. She says, David, pause. Listen to me. Right, here's what I want to encourage you to do. In moments when you otherwise would react the wrong way, pause and pray first. Listen to what the Spirit of God is saying. What I've discovered, and what I think some of you have discovered, is just by pausing, you can actually get yourself out of a lot of trouble. Pause, listen to God's Spirit. David paused to listen to Abigail, and as a result, he not only heard her words, it actually, the word it uses in the story is that he obeys Abigail. Some of us, we need to learn to pause and listen to what God's Spirit is saying. My, my, the challenge I give you is pray first, all right? Then be willing to listen to what God is saying and then obey what God is saying. But then it goes one step further. What does she do? She challenges him to pause, to listen, but then consider his options. She says, look, you have a choice. You have two options. You can go down the road you're going down and wipe out his family, or you can disregard the offense. You don't have to go down that road you don't have to uh wipe out nabal's whole family so she gives him an option here's what i want you to do pause to consider your options so not only do i want you to pray first i want you to think first choose to slow down to give yourself at least two options i can go down that road and say that harsh statement or i could overlook the offense and that's exactly what. Abigail does. And then it continues, and I'm going to read to you a little bit more of the story. Now, in verse 26, she says, Since the Lord has kept you, my master, from bloodshed, meaning you've chosen the other option, and from avenging yourself with your own hands, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, may your enemies and all who intend to harm you, my master, be like Nabal. And then she continues. Please forgive your servant's offense, for the Lord will certainly make a lasting dynasty for my master, because he fights the Lord's battles. She says, "Now I do. Am I asking you to pray first, or listen first, and then think first? I'm asking you to think about eternity first. Think about your future." first what will my next reaction do how will this affect tomorrow and the next day and the next day right so there's this moment where we pause i pray first i listen first then i begin to think about my options and then as i look at my options i consider the future more than the moment waiting is better than instant gratification. Tomorrow is better than today. If you can slow down to consider the future, you will make better decisions. You will have a better first response. You and I too often, we're just thinking in the moment, or we're not even thinking, we're just giving an impulse, and urge, but we have the power by the Spirit of God to pray first, and then to think first, and then to think about our future first so that when you're looking at the next moment, you're taking into consideration how your response could affect your marriage or your children or your legacy. David, because he chooses to do the right thing, blessed by God, do you know that generations down the road, he becomes the great, 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 great grandfather of Jesus Christ. And so I wanna challenge you. How can you Give way to the name of Jesus Christ in your life by allowing God's Spirit to take control of your responses. I would imagine that there are some right now that you're thinking, I'm going to do better in this area. I'm going to be more self-controlled. And I want to challenge you is you're not going to do this on your own. What you and I need first and foremost is God's spirit living in us. And the only way God's spirit lives in us is when we acknowledge Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. If we're going to repent of our old way of living and give our lives completely to Jesus. Some of you, that's where you're at right now. And this is your moment to say, I, my life is out of control. I'm spinning, I'm reacting, and I need to yield my life to God and allow Jesus Christ to be my Lord and Savior. If that's where you're at right now. I want you to take this moment. I want you to pray for others of you Your moment is to say, I believe in Jesus, but I've not been yielding to God's spirit in my life. I've I've just been reacting like I always did. And this is your moment to say, Holy Spirit of God, would you come and would you take control of my life? So I want you to take a moment right now and would you just pause, just pause and pray first and allow God to speak to you, listen first. How does God want to transform this moment In your life, would you take a moment right now? Would you just begin to pray? Thank you for listening to audio from Lifehouse Church, located in Hagerstown, Maryland. We believe that through Christ, life change happens here. So we invite you to connect with us further by visiting lifehousechurch.org.